Hi everyone, Sean Paul Ellis here from the Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast. Remember, that's morning with you. Some pre-show announcements, Pumpkin Spice Edition. Today's quick pre-show announcements are a shout-out, Patreon, and then finally, what's actually happening in today's episode. Our shout-out goes to a Twitter user, BitGunky, messaged us and said, just found and really enjoyed your podcast. I think BitGunky is listening to some older episodes, so shh, nobody tell that person that our audio gets a lot better. Make it a surprise. Thank you, BitGunky, for the message. You made our day. We really appreciate it. A quick ask. We have a Patreon. You can support this show and our original content. I buy coffee, and it's typically $3.33. I don't know why it's that specific. I do this a couple times a week. We're asking for just that price of a cup of coffee a month, and it goes to keeping the show ad-free so that we don't have to sell you ED chewable pills, spaceship mortgages, or even a memory phone mattress. Get the crap out of here with that. I don't want it. Don't want to support the show? Fine. Be that way. I don't care. If you want to support the show, awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. So what's on today's episode? This week's show comes with a trigger warning. Why? Because we're talking about some really heavy stuff for the Amazon original series, Undone. These issues have had actually a personal impact on my life, which actually made watching this show rather challenging, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in the actual episode. The warnings, mental health issues, loss of a parent, and suicide. I would normally make a joke at this point, but this stuff is not funny, and, you know, and we're just not mental health professionals either. So in the show notes, we have actually added the phone number and the link to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Please. The series Undone does something truly unique by leveraging an older animation technique with incredible results. The technique was developed in 1915 by animator Max Fleischer, and you might remember them using this in a movie called A Scanner Darkly with Keanu Reeves. So, rotoscoping, does it hold up in 2019? Can we still make advancements on an older animation technique? Does all of this heavy content really work within eight episodes? All of this and more, so now... On with the show. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the Collider weekly podcast for all things animation, including news, reviews, and interviews coming to you all the way from San Antonio, Texas. I'll be your co-host, Sean Paul Ellis, and joining me from inside of the nature of reality is my co-host Dave Trumbor. Welcome, Dave. How's it going, bud? How's uh, how's that San Antonio treating you? It's uh, it is great. I love Texas barbecue, so I am not at a loss for finding good food down here. You know, the weirdest thing about being inside of the nature of all reality is everything is just made of barbecue. So it's really odd that you bring that up. Oh boy, just stacks Man. upon stacks of ribs and riblets. What what's what are the what's the burnt end situation going on down there? Because that's delicious. that's what I'm interested. It's delicious. Everything's delicious. Oh man, it's very much like a Willy Wonka meets like a cloudy with a chance of meatball. You can just eat everything and and not gain any weight whatsoever. Well, that's my own personal health, but yeah. Oh, oh no, no, <laughs> oh no. This is also a terrible place for vegans and vegetarians. I apologize that the reality is the reality is that reality is made out of barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> oh man wow for anybody who's listening 
I'm going to assume that you have no idea what cartoon we're actually talking about. I wouldn't today. either at this point. I would, yeah. In fact, I might even be lost, quite honestly, myself within the reality of nature. Space, space, space. Uh, so tonight we are actually talking about the Amazon original series that is called Undone. And before we get into this, uh, we need to kind of mention that there are, there are some warnings in terms of the content of what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, we don't do this a ton, or we don't do this very often, but for this particular show, uh, if you uh, are, if these topics, including mental health, loss of a parent, uh, suicide, if these are things that uh, you would not like to listen to us talk about for the next 45 to 50 minutes, we completely understand. Uh, and also in that case, might we not recommend you watch Undone? Because that's a lot of what the content is for that actual program itself. Uh, and we definitely want to be able to to dig into the weeds on this. I also want to preface this with saying that Dave and I are not mental health professionals in any way, shape, or form. Neither of us are in that field at all. So if anything is going on in your life regarding any of that subject matter that we mentioned Highly encourage you to reach out to friends, family, support group. Uh, if some of these things are unaccessible or you don't feel that they're actually there for you, we are going to post the note and the phone number for the suicide hotline uh, in the show notes. And this is not something that we're joking about or that we're taking lightly for this show. And we'll get into a little bit about why this is so important and so impactful uh, in our lives. So this is Definitely a difficult topic to kind of enter into this show tonight, and I will say personally for me, uh, watching this show was wonderful and beautiful, but it was also an emotional uh, gut punch for me, and I'm still a little bit of a wreck from it. And I can say that I'm mostly a robot, so for the most part, this like affected me on more of a cerebral level, and I didn't really let it get to my uh, shielded emotional core, but I can understand why it would definitely affect uh, some people more than others. So we are going to be taking this very seriously tonight. Uh, we're still going to have fun talking about the show. It is still an animated series. We're going to enjoy talking about the technology behind the animation because it's somewhat unique with things that you get to see uh, on TV today. We're going to praise the, you know, the things that we thought were good about the series overall, the things we thought needed a little bit of work, and then some of the things that made us laugh intentionally or otherwise to end the show. That way it's not such a, such a downer because there was a lot of uh, good material to be found in Undone as well. Absolutely, absolutely. If you are unfamiliar with... Amazon's show Undone. Uh, we're going to turn this over to a longtime listener in front of the show, Bobby Anthem, for a synopsis on Undone. So, Bobby, take it away. Undone is a half hour genre bending animated dramedy that explores the elastic nature of reality through its central character, Alma, a 28 year old living in San Antonio, Texas. After getting into a car accident and nearly dying, Alma finds she has a new relationship to time. She develops this new ability in order to find out the truth about her father's death. Thank you so much, Bobby, for breaking down a little bit about what we can expect from the show Undone. I feel like if Bobby's like, we talk about this all the time, but I feel like if Bobby's voice was the voice of our internal monologues and conscious, conscience, one of these weeks I'll be able to pronounce that correctly. Uh, it's okay. I feel like everything would be so much better. I would agree. Yeah. I 100% agree. Such yeah. a nice such a nice voice to listen to and just tell you, you know, in case you start to wander further afield or get a little astray, he just brings you right back in. He's yeah, the good just kind of I use him as sort of like a like a headspace app. Yeah. <laughs> just these these periods just to kind of like refocus 
myself in terms of what I'm doing. That would be nice. So, yes. As always, Bobby, thank you. So, we are going to talk a little bit about Undone. And I keep saying Undone, and it makes me think of the Weezer song, Undone, the sweater song. Yeah. It's not even close. No, so. there's not even a sweater in this show, I don't think. Not really. No. We're in a lot of warm climates we during are. a majority of this. Yeah, they so. really only kind of... Uh, fluctuate between uh, San Antonio, Texas, and a little bit of, uh, what, native sites in Mexico? Do they even say exactly where they are? I don't know that they give actual specific sites yeah. that are there, but yes. They introduce some interesting mythology, too, without giving away like too many details. So it, it leads me to ask like how much of this is based on fact and how much of this is just something they came up with for the show, because this is a very original idea. Right, this is very original. To break down this show... Very similar to the Clint Eastwood classic Spaghetti Western, the good, the bad, the ugly. We are going to get into the good, the bad, and the LOL because we are not going to end this with anything ugly because a lot of people spent a ton of time putting this show together. And we need to kind of talk and show a little bit of appreciation for a lot of the work that they went in there. As Dave mentioned, we're going to kind of finish this out with some things that were funny for us, intentional or otherwise. And so to kick us off and kind of talk about the good Dave, what was something good? What was something positive? What did you enjoy about Undone? Yeah, but so honestly, the first thing that you're going to see when you look up Undone is the style of animation. At first blush, it may look like live action, but if you, you know, spare a couple seconds glance for it, you'll notice that it's something called rotoscoped animation. This is a technique that's been around for a long time. Um, In basic terms, animators would use live action recordings or performances of actors and then kind of go in and almost like trace their performances, right? So they would trace them in frames. They would then layer the, whatever the animated character was over the top of them. So if you've seen Fire and Ice, any of the the, uh, Ralph Bakshi films, you get that kind of rotoscoped animation. So it looks like really kinetic, dynamic, um, organic movement. And uh, whether it's dancing or just moving or fighting action sequences, it feels really real. It feels like you're watching um, live action people just in animated form because that's exactly what it is. They're just translating real live performances into an animated realm. Now, this rotoscope is like like Sean and I talked about offline. It's like rotoscope 3.0 for the 21st century. They use cutting edge, uh, computer generated animation. They use um, you know one of a kind unique artistry, whether it's oil paintings, um, other things that they can draw from to make different backgrounds or to make concept art that they then layer these um, performances over top of. We have a great kind of behind-the-scenes featurette that we're going to post on Collider along with this uh, audio podcast, so you guys can check that out there because it it very much is a visual medium. It's something you kind of need to see how it all works together to really appreciate it. But this animation looks so good, and I think one of the... I think there's two things for me that really stood out. One was the ability to capture facial expressions for all of the the actors, and they're all amazing. They're very, very good uh, in all their roles over the eight episodes. One limitation in animation, whether it's computer-generated, traditional hand-drawn, is capturing that human expression. You know, whether it's on an actual human or an animal or whatever it happens to be, capturing that human expression from the eyes, all the, you know, the little wrinkles and subtle micro-expressions in the face, if you're doing rotoscoping and, and sort of like performance capture, you can get that, and that really comes across in this. The other thing that I wanted to point out for the animation before I let Sean get a word in is <laughs> the ability to do some of the uh, reality-breaking stuff that they do in this series. The first episode could have been done live action. They could have done it just yeah. with 
They could have just filmed them. They could have done some special effects work and it wouldn't have been any different. It's that second episode that really gets you into like more abstract space. The idea that you're breaking through reality, moving through time, which we'll get into in a bit. And that would have been super expensive, I think, to do it with, with live action and computer-generated effects. These are computer-generated effects, but because it's sort of in an animated realm, it's a little bit easier and a little bit cheaper to do. And it works fantastically well for the story. No, absolutely. Yeah. And there's so much of this that feels, I think you mentioned kind of like a moving watercolor. Mm-hmm. There's so much of this those that are, feels... Those are your, yeah, your words, very poetic words. So much of it feels so fluid and so organic in nature and just how they're able to kind of seamlessly weave a lot of these different components back and forth. And as you mentioned, sort of with being able to understand time and cyclical natures of time, of just being able to to put that to light and kind of show that and animate that in a very specific fashion and manner. In some cases, it's just simple repetition. And in other cases, it really is sort of mind-breaking, genre-breaking, uh, you know, rotoscoping that they're they're leveraging here to be able to kind of add that to the performances that are taking place. And I'm, I'm constantly blown away from watching this show, all eight episodes of just how absolutely gorgeous this is from start to finish. I mean, you know, there, there are moments, you know, very early on when some of the things happen to Alma uh, and it's the stop sign that she misses uh, very early on before she has sort of this inciting incident that kind of acts as a catalyst for a lot of the show and just going back and stopping and looking at that frame, like it's just such a beautifully rendered watercolor of, you know, uh, of this stop sign. And it almost kind of sounded and, and felt metaphorical in a sense that had she had stopped, none of this would have happened, yeah. you know? And so like there, there are moments that maybe I'm reading too much into this. Maybe I'm interpreting too much, but it just did feel like there were layers upon layers of certain things, especially as you mentioned in the second episode, even with something as simple as a thank you card. Yeah. Uh, that Alma receives, just understanding how that can become a reality and then she can come back to a regular reality and have that flow so seamlessly in between those different scenes that your brain is trying to play catch up as these things are moving so quickly. And that was a delight to watch. I know it sounds a little bit confusing, like, oh, I don't, I don't want to think too much. I want to be entertained. Because Dave mentioned it is such a visual medium, watching this, your eyes are just kind of drinking in just everything within this beautiful, you know, portrait over and over and over again. Maybe we can talk a little bit about the story, though, because that's honestly one of my other uh, strong points, I think, for Undone. It's, it's, it's an original story, even though it feels, parts of it feel similar to things we may have seen before. But it's got a lot of parts that you wouldn't think work together that actually do. So for me, it's a weird combination of Fleabag meets, like, Russian Doll, but there's also elements of Eternal Sunshine, the OA a little bit of the matrix, a little bit of Donnie Darko thrown in. And I, I know Sean has some of his own. What, how did you uh, reference this? My hot take is that it's inception plus girl interrupted with a dash of groundhog. Day. <laughs> so there's a lot going on here. Yes. But it essentially <laughs> all boils down to, it focuses on Alma played by uh, Rosa Salazar. Amazing. We'll, Who was we'll Alita battle second. angel. She was Alita battle angel. She's I hope wonderful. she does. I hope she does more things like this in animation or like a kind of avant-garde, um, visual approaches and not just straight live action stuff. I think she's amazing. And she's I think, fantastic. I think that rather than hamper her ability to perform and act and emote and, and express, I think things like the performance capture in Alita, the rotoscoping in Undone, I think they really helped to like bring that out of, of her uh, 
just her abilities as an actor, but also that character, it kind of becomes her as well. She, she just kind of like, it brings out her best qualities as an actor, I think. Yeah, um, I think so too. But as far as the story goes, it's, it centers on her and she's very much a, um, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge character from Fleabag. Like she's just, you can't really root for her to begin with. She's kind of, she removes herself from society. She's always acting like antagonizing against everybody and everything that she kind of comes up against. She's caustic. She's very she caustic is. as a human. Yeah. She's, she's, she's a tough person to actually, she's tough as a protagonist to like because you don't really want to like her. <laughs> she's kind of a jerk in the beginning. But then uh, some things transpire. She ends up in a coma and then has this ability to interact with her deceased father. And normally that would be enough of kind of like a sci-fi supernatural stretch to be an interesting story to kind of throw in here because Fleabag doesn't have any of those, you know, supernatural moments. The closest thing to get to that is the fourth wall breaking. Um, but the supernatural moments don't really stop there because her father is now trying to teach her and train her to use this new power that she has because she's kind of tapped into this in-between place to be able to manipulate time and through that reality. So over the course of these episodes, she's going to try to learn how to sort of like jump through time. But the main conflict comes with trying to keep one foot in reality and one foot is kind of a time traveler. And right. because of the, the medium of Undone, they're able to do this fantastically well. It's kind of like, like Legion too, just from like a visual standpoint of, of mapping sort of the mental picture versus reality and then getting confused as to where we are and what's real and what's not and what's in our head. And that opens the whole story up from there. But if you followed along with that much, then I think you'll, you'll probably get the rest of it. But for me, that was a strength of the, the show as well. No, I agree. I think the writing was wonderful on this. It's to distill. I think what Dave is trying to, to allude to very high concept, immensely intriguing in nature. It's something that I don't, I can't, other than the other shows that we've said, like it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I don't think I've ever seen anything that has been like this uh, in such a, a focused, structured, and well-executed fashion. So this was, the writing The writing made it just all that much better, and it just felt intensely personal in certain moments. And so it, it's, we should mention, we should mention that this is from Tornante and Amazon Studios. Uh, Tornante is the same group that has done BoJack Horseman. So there are going to be some elements that we probably talk about story point wise that might remind you of BoJack. And that's fine. I think that that works really well. BoJack is probably one of my favorite cartoons that's on TV right now. Uh, and if you're interested in hearing our impressions of that, you can always go back to episode 221 where we talk about BoJack Horseman. And you can also check out Dave's interview that he does regarding the episode Free Churro. Uh, and his interview with Raphael Bob Waxberg about that actual episode himself. Uh, I will say that Free Churro and this show, in multiple ways, as I was watching them, destroyed me yeah. and turned me into a sobbing mess. And so, damn, <laughs> like Tornante, please, like, did you guys make a huge investment in like Kleenex and then just kind of like target me as like an audience Probably, member? Because yeah. I'm flying through boxes, buddy. You got to settle down. Yeah, and for me, maybe this falls under the bad category, which I'm not ready to move on to yet, but uh, Sean got a chance to kind of spread these out over a little bit of time. I managed to binge them all in one day. So for me, I probably haven't really sat and dwelt in this like miasma of, of terrible things that happen uh, on this show long enough to really have them kind of like sink in. Um, so Sean and I have some different reactions as far as just our experience of this show. 
So I would say I would prefer Sean's method where you actually get to watch an episode, talk about it, discuss it, let it sit for a while too, especially if it's something that's particularly like tough to sit through. And not all these episodes are like that. Some of them are just very much uh, like exposition. They just set up the story and you can go right on to the next one. Some of them, they throw so much at you that it's just kind of like, whoa, 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 just hold on one thing at a time, please. Let's just slow this down. Let's just push pause for a second before we go to the next thing. Let's talk about this. Um, right. Yeah. What was your take on how you experienced this show? <sighs> I mean, it's it's hard. Uh I think I've hinted and I've alluded at this uh, within the past year, um, but I, I, uh, I lost my father um, last August, and uh, that was tough. Mm-hmm. But this show kind of made me think and have to start processing a lot of that stuff, and it's it's challenging. You know, stages of grief uh, are not like you do one and then two and then three and then you're done. I mean, there are five stages too. Yeah, but it's not like an AA program that you have to like. <laughs> follow an order and get your chips no exactly i mean it's you know it's hard and and the five stages done by elizabeth kubler ross you know she kind of notes the fact that like you don't have to do them in a traditional order and you might do multiple cycles of those stages and it's it's very hard um for anybody that's going through that i i empathize uh but i i also i lost my dad um to suicide as well so that's that is, uh, you know, and there, there were a lot of things just in terms of, you know, mental health and, um, you know, loss of a parent and everything like that, that this show really, really hits hard within the first two episodes. And that's kind of why we were giving the warning up front yeah. uh, with the explanation about it is, uh, you know, I don't think that, you know, if, if this is something that has happened recently and it is very challenging for you to kind of have those discussions. And I'm definitely somebody right now who, uh, you know, over the last 13 months, I don't think that I have fully processed everything that has happened. Um, and I'm at a state now where I'm starting to talk about it a little bit more and be a little bit more open with it and kind of understand. And, you know, I've had thankfully a good support group of friends and family that have been there for me. Um, but this is something where, you know, at certain points you have to recognize that, Hey, maybe I need more support and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's, uh, and that's always a challenge, but this show after those first two episodes, I, I had to turn it off and I had to walk away. And I think I walked away for almost a full 24 hours. Uh, I was watching this with a wife in front of the show, Melanie Harker. And after those first two episodes, she's like, I am very intrigued with this show and I have enjoyed it. Um, but she's like, I'm also, I'm, I don't want to continue watching it. So I have watched the last six episodes by myself for better, for worse. And I'll say, guess what? Probably for the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. Does it help, uh, things like this, things like free churro, does it help to kind of have to rip off that bandaid and talk about it? Or is it just kind of one of those things where you would prefer a little bit of a heads up or like, let me, let me experience that in my own time when I'm ready, not just kind of like blindsided by it. Because we didn't know what the show was about um, yeah. really until the last kind of couple episodes, last episode really. Right. Uh, I think it kind of goes both ways. And again, I, I kind of, uh, I, I think it depends on sort of where you are with a lot of this. And because some of, the, because some of these wounds are still fresh and very challenging for me, um, you know, I think I saw Free Churro 
if my if, if everything happened with my dad back in August, I watched Futuro then in November when the episode yep. came out, and that that was a gut punch. I actually think after that episode, I didn't finish that season of BoJack for almost three or four months. Yeah. So it was a little too raw for me at that point, and I don't think, um, I don't think that I fully I appreciated everything that I was watching, but being able to kind of continue and move forward, especially that episode, which is sort of the the addiction nature of BoJack kind of hit home a lot for me as well. And so uh, I kind of had to like pull myself away from that because it was just too soon for me. But Free Churro, I think I was also just blown away and amazed at just that monologue in general. Yeah. And the part of me that does write frequently and enjoy media was like, I'm blown away at how good this writing is. But then the emotional side of me was just like, oh, I'm going to be crushed for like a couple days right now. Uh, I think this is this show came out, you know, uh, a little bit after maybe the anniversary of stuff for my dad. And so I think it was still a little too soon. And fighting through a couple of these episodes didn't do me any favors, but at the same time did get me talking to some people who are in sort of my support group. That's good to kind of reach out and uh, and start to start to get help. So. For better or for worse, I watched it, but in every instance, I've enjoyed what I've watched, and I definitely feel like the reason I'm probably going back to therapy is Tornante, yeah. and so thanks, Bob Oxberg. So. <laughs> I feel like he needs to hear that, because when I, when I had a chance to speak with him and the writers uh, and director for Free Churro, it was very much, I wanted to know how much of that story was real, how much of that came from their own experiences, because Sean's obviously just told you guys about some very personal stuff for him. That obviously happens, you know, it's going to happen to everybody out there, but that doesn't, you know, it doesn't reduce or diminish Sean's experiences at all. But I just wanted to know if that happened to somebody in that writer's room, that they felt the need to work it out in this way. And I didn't know if that was Bob Waxberg uh, specifically or somebody else, or if they just came up with it as a hypothetical. Personally, I didn't get a very satisfying answer answer uh, to that <laughs> question. Because I, I, I still think that the truth is that it was a very deeply personal story for someone Probably Bob Waxberg. I don't know what his relationship is like with his parents, but if you watch Undone, there's still something going on there, dude. There's still something he's working through or maybe has tapped into something that people respond to and that's enough. Maybe he's just really good at fiction and has like a perfect uh, real normal life. I don't know. But also if you guys go back and listen to um, my interview with them, you'll hear a personal anecdote from me that weirdly dovetailed with Free Churro as well. I'm not going to go into it today, but there was something happened related to a death of a family member uh, that was bizarre. The fact that I saw it in cartoon form at the very, very end of Free Churro, that caught me way off guard. But yeah. as I had a, a chance to sit and think with it, it was kind of not funny. I mean, a very black humor, dark humor kind of way. Um, but after a while, I was just kind of like, I'm glad that I can now laugh at that a little bit because it happened to BoJack too, and I feel like that's okay. <laughs> I feel like if it happened to BoJack Horseman, then I'm I'm doing okay. Um, I will say though, if can we segue into some of the stuff that didn't work for us quite so well? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I want to really quickly just highlight the cast. Look up this cast. Everybody in it, top to bottom, uh, is fantastic. So amazing. Every single character was perfectly cast. Everybody delivers like a plus game uh, from Bob Odenkirk. Every everybody. 
uh, even like Tyler Posey, who just plays a, a random like Catholic priest. Uh, everybody's so amazing. Everybody's so good. They're firing on all cylinders for these performances. They are wonderful. Yeah, and they're definitely worth watching if you can get through the, the trigger warning stuff. But here's the thing that kind of stuck with me. There's a tightrope they walk here in this series of mental illness for a lot of different characters. And on one hand, they're kind of getting into the danger zone of portraying mental illness as a superpower. They quite literally come out and say, we found that these people were, you know, labeled as schizophrenics, but they also have this brain abnormality that lets them tap into something more, into something beyond, into like reality altering or or time traveling abilities. And I don't, I really don't like when people use, I know it's fiction, but I don't like when people use real world mental illness as a superpower, whether it's autism, schizophrenia, any of those kind of like uh, mental disorders that people struggle through pretty much their entire lives and they're portrayed as a superpower. Uh, I don't really like that. On the flip side, the way that this story unfolds, you then start to question, oh, is this reality? Like, can she actually do these things? Or is is it an aspect of her mental illness that is warping the reality as she sees it? So she's believing things that aren't real. And I... Either way you go with that because you then you then have a tendency to write the people off if they're coming up to you and saying like, hey, man, I'm, I've been talking to my dead dad and he's teaching me how to travel through time and we're like warping around. So if I seem a little out of it, that's why, because that's my reality. Now, you can look at them and, you know, completely write them off and just be like, you're a crazy person and I don't want anything to do with you or, you know, go go behind their back and, and lie to try to make things comfortable for them but not actually be honest with them either one of those things in fiction it kind of bothers me uh i know that it's tough to walk that line but i was a little i don't know i was a little distressed sometimes with the direction that they were going they brought it back to the middle more or less at the end but what's your take on that no i think that like you said they they walk a fine line there are moments where and i'll say the instance where alma is requesting a police report from a a security guard where her father used to work to kind of generate some more leads about what happened to him on the night that he died. Right. Uh, she kind of, for two seconds, you you see sort of what she does and kind of the the state that she sort of goes into. It's almost like meditative for like a second, but then she begins to respond and empathize with this person. And that's all thanks to Salazar's performance too, like that. A lot of times when she yeah. when she hops into different realities or times, they physically take you to those places. But this time, it's just all in her face. Right. And so you're you're watching her go through this in almost like a like a second and then snap back out of it and her boyfriend Sam is watching her the entire time and he sees images and pictures on a computer screen yeah, and screen he thinks server, that yeah. And he thinks that she was that Alma was able to kind of Kaiser Soze, for lack of a better word, to the security guard to kind of empathize and, and spin this story and, and relate to her to get the thing that she wanted. But you have to assume, like in reality, she was able to kind of see that life. She was able to experience it, as she mentions. And that was a really powerful moment for me because, you know, you she has talked about this and there are so many things that are there. And then Sam finally has an opportunity to kind of witness this after he has been supporting the heck out of her for a good portion of the time when she kind of comes out of the coma, he's a little bit concerned and their relationship's a little bit complicated. But then when she finally confesses, you know, to him what's actually going on, uh, he, he really begins to kind of support her, you know, 
for the most part. Yeah, I have, uh, a, I have a little, some nitpicks with that. One, going back to like the screensaver scene. Uh, I like that they included that because it, it gives you clues either way. You could say, right. oh, she's tripping into reality and, and basically like mind reading this woman's experience. Like she's, she's done that with Sam. Now, whether that was a story that like from his childhood, now whether that was a story that he told her once upon a time and she had forgotten it and put it in her subconscious somewhere and it just came back, or whether she actually traveled to his memory or whatever. Or was she just inferring from the screensaver the information she needed to know to get the answers that she she wanted? I like that they right. give you both because you can go either way. I will argue a little bit against Sam being like supportive. Um, they do have a blow up that he essentially like kind of takes advantage of the fact that she doesn't remember breaking up with him before her accident and just right, uses right. that to move back in, sleep with her, continue their relationship like it used to be. Ooh, that was a little creepified for me. I get where he's coming from. And I'm glad that they address it on the show because right. they do kind of talk it out and work it out in a somewhat healthy way. But then even when he's helping her to like, they go on this kind of like private eye trek to like somebody was out to kill her father and he had, he had top secret information and research that companies wanted. And if they couldn't get it, then they were going to kill him to keep it secret. And it's like, that was fun to play with. But then I was like, when are we coming back down to earth? Like, is this the reality of it or is this uh, is this an exploration of mental illness and the things that it does to you? And I think over the course of this series, you could go either way. It's, it's up to you your interpretation. Too. Yeah. Again, I think like you mentioned, they're really they're walking that tightrope. Yeah. They're giving you information and clues on both sides. You know, I want to this isn't in the things that didn't work for me category. This actually goes into the part that did work for me okay. is just the relationships and the dynamics that you have, because I know that we've hinted and we've talked a lot about them. You know, we talked about this in the BoJack episode where hurt people hurt other people. Alma has this moment where she looks at her sister and she says the line, you know, broken people are, you know, break other people. And it's very much along the lines of what we have talked about for BoJack previously. You know, it, it, it it's something, again, that for Bob Waxberg, it just it permeates across all of the things that he does. And it makes sense. And, and to Dave's point, these people are I don't want to say broken. I don't think that these people are broken in any way, shape, or form. I just think that these people have, you know, complicated issues in terms of their relationships and their dynamics, and nobody is honestly, truthfully, ever brutally honest with the other person up to a point. And so because there there isn't, because a lot of these relationships aren't based in a, a mutual respect or honesty, they make things very complicated throughout the entire eight episodes. And so... To Dave's point, I can definitely see where Sam is not the greatest boyfriend, and then he is attempting to be the greatest boyfriend, and then at the end, he is a very concerned boyfriend who just, I believe, honestly wants the best for somebody that he loves. It's, it raises that question at the end, like, you know, if you love someone, do you do the tough love thing where you're like, look, here's the reality of what you're doing and what you need to do to get better. Or do you just go along with what they believe to be the truth? Because that's their, you know, that's their truth. That's their frame of reality. Even if it doesn't match up with yours, that's a tough question. Having been in Sam's position previously uh, with my dad, um, I can, I can say it is, you will try to do every possible single thing you can. Yeah. Um, and you will do each one of those and it doesn't matter what the order is, and you will probably do each one of those uh, multiple times to try to ensure or 
you know, instill confidence or, or a sense of, of hope in any of those people who are there. And it's, it's hard because you don't want to tough love somebody because what if you say something then that they feel that you can never be taken back? And like, you know, that had happened to me personally uh, with my dad. And that was, it was one of those things where it's like, I, I made a comment to you seven years ago in a letter that I wrote to you about something that was personal. And he was like, I never got rid of that letter. And I'm like, well, yeah, you were kind of being a nightmare at that time. And I was honest with you. And so, you know, you know, a lot of, because of the problem of honesty or just sort of mutual respect or understanding for a lot of these, every single relationship that's in this show, you feel like people are motivated for something that they particularly want, whether it's the mom who just kind of wants the best for her two girls, but goes about it in sort of a, you know, a chaotic manner. Uh, Maybe it is the sister who just really kind of wants to find love, you know, but she has some problems of her own in terms of infidelity and the relationships that she has. And so, you know, all of these things that are there, nobody's honest with each other about it. And everybody just kind of assumes the worst for each other. And so they go into kind of triage mode where they're trying to help them. But it's it's not productive in some cases for everybody. That's that's what it really know, felt it, like, you know, the writing in Fleabag and in um, Russian Doll to me. It was right. that level of like dramatic, realistic, like these are real conversations that you had. They're not scripted to be like one liners or like super dramatic statements of, of life-changing prophecy or anything like that. These, they're like human people having human conversations that they're going to get stuff wrong. They're going to screw up more than they get stuff right. But I don't know. It's, it, with, with speaking of Sam, it's so tough because just like anybody else, you don't know who is going to respond positively to a tough love scenario or yeah. who is going to just like crumple up and that's going to be like the end of it. Like You have to know the people. You have to do what you think is best for them. And I think this show handles that pretty well. Not by trying to give advice in any way, but just portraying like, here's how these situations play out sometimes. I I think it is important to mention, um, you said that Alma thinks of herself as a broken person. There's a number of reasons for that. And I agree with Sean that people aren't aren't inherently broken, but they they can be broken down by the things that they experience. You can always be lifted back up through whatever means work for you, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah, Yeah, Um, I I do. Again, for the most part, except for self-destructive stuff. Uh, this is why we issued a trigger warning because we don't know what we're talking about. We talk about yeah. cartoons. But so Alma's character is deaf. We learn pretty early on that she's deaf. And then a little bit later we learn that she wasn't deaf from birth, but she had pneumonia when she was a child. So she lost her hearing, learned sign language, spent a lot of time with other deaf children at a deaf school, and then had the opportunity to get a, um, a surgical implant that actually let her hear and regain her, her speech. That plays a lot into the the theme of the story, both in how she kind of perceives herself, not necessarily overtly. That kind of takes a backseat, but she uses it as a, as a way to shut off the outside world from around her when she needs to. But through that, through the fact that her father died, um, the fact that he wasn't around for all of her childhood, and now she has this sudden like ability to see him again, there's a lot of turmoil in there that was only just starting to be explored in this, yeah. There are so many moments where they use silence and sort of uh, like a mumbled kind of Charlie Brown's parents. Yeah, like muffled, uh, muffled noise in the background. Like, and it's they do such a good job of showing how she kind of moves back and forth between those two different states of sound versus muffled sound or no sound. And I don't know. I just I loved that addition and how they began to use 
her cochlear implant, as well as also her hearing aid, as a way of kind of further helping her understand sort of after this accident that these new things were being unlocked in her brain and that she now had access to these, you know, abilities to be able to understand these things under the tutelage of her dad. uh, You know, and to relate that to something like her redeveloping the ability to hear. I thought that that, I thought that that was just a really powerful story point. Yeah. It was also, yeah, good. God, you know, it was just, it was, it was, it was so good. They just did such a good job with it. I know we're in things that didn't work for us and I keep going back to the things that did. We're emotional wrecks. I really, yeah. I really, I really did love, I really did love their use of, of sound and the absence of sound in this. I thought it was wonderful. Well, it was great too, because it wasn't just a like, woe is me. I'm a deaf kid and I can't do anything right. That wasn't the story she was having. Right. It wasn't used as like, oh, I need to overcome the fact that I can't hear or can't communicate with people. It was more about the decisions that were made. They flash back a number of times to decisions that were essentially made for her throughout her entire life. So when she was a kid, both of her parents kind of argued back and forth and she could read their lips even if they weren't signing. She could see that there was a fight happening between them. The mother wanted her to get the surgery. The father didn't necessarily. He wanted to make sure it was her own choice. But because right. she was just like, you know what, I don't even want to deal with it, so I'll just do it and then we'll be done with it. But she makes that kind of decision through indecision multiple times throughout the course of her life and then it just kind of eventually like has a blowout and it's just like, just once I'd like to make my own decision and I have other people make it for me. And that factors in the boyfriend stuff that factors in the, the family relationship stuff too. So that was, that was a big part of it, but it wasn't just played up as a disability um, leading to her quote unquote brokenness. It was the fact that because of through that disability, people took uh, kind of took advantage of making decisions for her. So yeah. she had to gain agency over the course of the series, which was also a good and- message. And once she picked up that agency and once she yeah. had that ability to do it, you really saw a lot come out of Alma. She got uh, to be like a, like super powered towards the end. Yeah. But and well, I, was I, that real? That's the thing that sticks yeah, with me. I, I think that that's the challenging thing is that, you know, season one, eight episodes, we get to the very end of it. And without blowing too many spoilers yeah. your way, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, it leaves you with a cliffhanger. It leaves you with a really big cliffhanger. Uh, and again, to Dave's point that he mentioned earlier, it gives you, you could go one way or another in terms of how this ends. And I think that one, it's good writing. And two, uh, it, you know, it definitely keeps you talking about some of these things. I can also see, Dave, how this kind of ties back into your point of that tightrope of mental illness as a superpower, you know. I'll say personally, there was a part of me that like I wanted I wanted a definitive answer right. about what was happening. I, I wanted I wanted to know what was going on and maybe I'll get answers in season two. Well, so I'm going to backspace that just a little bit because the cliffhanger is very much a cliffhanger. But there, I think there was a way to do it that was more satisfying to me as a viewer than the way that they did it. Essentially, you're left with Alma and she's watching something to see if something's going to happen or not. You don't get to see what she sees. Prefer like in my my personal preference, I would have liked to see whatever she saw and then end it there because you can still leave that open to interpretation. She's seen so many kind of crazy things and tripping through realities and time that even if she's actually seeing something in front of her, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's happening. It's real to her. Right. It doesn't mean it's necessarily real in the real world. So I think with that, that would have left it open to a little bit more interpretation. Like. No, she definitely saw the thing, so that means she's had the power all along. And other people are like, no, if she's been seeing like 
everything and tripping through time and, and tripping balls through space, like it doesn't matter what she saw at the end because none of it was real. You can still have that conversation. But we're left with just a shot of her, which I think is fine because, again, we end on like Salazar's face and, and her expression, which is great. I don't know that they're going to have a season two. Uh, I don't know if this is a type of show that they're going to do that. It may be a limited series and, and this is it. Yeah, I mean, it very well might be. And if that's the case, you know, I think that there's a lot of conversation and interpretation that kind of, you know, can be generated from this. Yeah. This could be something that people are talking about in film school for years, writing, you know, uh, a thesis on, just trying to further understand this show. And it's, it's very interesting. It's very complicated. Uh, and it's realistic, too. I really hope it gets yeah. the kind of attention that Fleabag got this year at the Emmys, that yes. Russian Doll even did for, for nominations, and that some of the other titles that we mentioned get on the way back. Before we run out of time, though, is there anything? Let's lighten it up a little bit. Anything that made you laugh in the course of the series? <laughs> there are. There are a couple uh, fun moments where, and it's, and I know that we, every once in a while, we talk about jank animation, and we've <laughs> talked about how beautiful the animation is for this. There was one scene in particular where they have Alma, and she's sitting at a therapist's office, and it was just the way that, like, her jeans were kind of hiked up and it looked like she was all jeans and then like a head. <laughs> and it was just the she angle. She was just wearing like the Canadian tuxedo, just denim yeah. from like neck down. Yeah. yeah, it is just the angle. And it was just the point of view because it was down towards yep. the ground a little bit more being shot up. I don't know what it was. That made me laugh just seeing. I was like, is she all jeans right now? Like, I, I just I, I just laughed for no apparent reason in a show that has just like. Yeah been a gut punch just seeing all jeans alma just made me giggle I love that action figure <laughs> what's funny in rotoscope though it's it's tough because as they're um filming you're not just like a two-dimensional stick figure right that always has your silhouette in like, like right, bold right. lines drawn like if your arm crosses over in front of you to the rotoscoper that definition disappears you don't have those like outlines anymore so sometimes right. the body positions the, the proportions are weird and they're off and sometimes you get all jeans alma so that's yeah. gonna happen and fun. it's just, it's part of even like the color palette right. that they're using as well too, you know, and just like Dave mentioned, you know, there might not have been shadow. And so when somebody was drawing over top of that live action scene, there really may have not been anything there. And I don't know why all jeans Alma made me laugh so hard. It was just, I, I needed it at that moment and I was glad that I had gotten it. Right now, the music video for Take On Me is playing in my head because it was the same kind of thing where it's just like just a ton of jeans <laughs> and rotoscoped animation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot Ooh, that, of that's a lot of jeans. So I want you guys out there like to uh, to deep fake Alma in the Take on Me video and share that with us if you don't mind. Oh. Um, well, I will. Yeah. I will say this for Alma. Then uh, her reactions and her sarcasm so to everything perfect, especially with that her made me dad. laugh every time. She, she has essentially like her wizard father is like, daughter, here's how you travel through time and alter realities, and she's just kind of like, mm, is it though? And he's like, well, not <laughs> not really, I guess. She calls him out on pretty much everything when she kind of like Love wises it. up to the fact that he's not telling the full truth. Um, so good. The other kind of LOL for me is not like a laugh out loud in, in the traditional sense, but it's just kind of like not a lot of white people in this show, um, which I liked. I liked the fact there weren't a lot of white people. And the only ones True. that were there were kind of stereotypical and they were kind of jerks. Really the only white like family that we meet are the in-laws of uh, a Becca. She's marrying like a rich white boy. And he is so funny to look at his like skin tone and the rotoscoped uh, animation because he looks like a straight ghost. He just looks like <laughs> like Richie Rich turned into Casper because he's just like almost translucent. 
uh, which yeah. I think is really funny. But everybody else is like a person of color. There's either, you know, Alma's family, they're half Jewish and from, from Bob Odenkirk's uh, character, and uh, of Mexican descent from their uh, grandmother's side, I believe. So everybody else in the show, whether it's the cast member themselves or their character, is a person of color, uh, with the exception of the, what, Hollingsworth family or whatever they were. Right. Which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I actually liked seeing that, having those experiences, and having that um, with Alma's family, their their sort of quote-unquote native background, actually play into the story, which also weirdly played into some colonial, um, you know, aspects. Yeah, again, some multiple layers in this yeah, one. Yeah, there's so. a lot to kind of yeah. unpack, because it's kind of like, Dad, what, uh, what were you doing there? What are you doing? You're not doing good yeah. stuff, Dad. But yeah. Yeah. So I think it. I will give it the edge on Fleabag, which I get a little tired of watching really rich white people deal with their particular problems. I'm kind of tired of that trope. Um, that's, that's why I can't get into Succession. Oh my god, it's Succession, Fleabag, things like that. I'm just I'm tired of it. I don't want to watch rich white people bitch about their problems. Like just you guys are fine. Un- We're fine. Unless I'm the rich white person. Sure, then that's fine. If you guys yeah, want to bankroll our, our rich yeah. white people problems. Oh boy. Oh. That's why I can't yeah. watch Judd Apatow anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. You hearing that, Judd? He's listening. Sorry, Judd. Okay. Hey, sorry, buddy. That's it, though. I mean, a lot of good stuff to talk about. Very few kind of like minor quips. Um, and then a couple kind of standout laugh out loud stuff for me. That's about it. So before we give you our final opinion of Undone, uh, turns out that you, yeah, you on the internet, you have opinions as well. And Always. you want to... I always want to write them on the internet and make them known to everybody else. But in order to honor that, we're going to turn it over to a longtime listener and friend of the show, Bobby Anthem, for this week's Love It or Hate It. Bobby, take it away. Back once again for Love It or Hate It. Our Love It for Undone is titled Hats Off to Undone by Gia Gal 14 and September 2019. Gia wrote, a story that couldn't be more touching, intriguing, complicated, and fascinating had to be told in a different way of narrating and describing. The whole works seamlessly. There's a touch of P.K. Dick, a hint of Gilliam, a sprinkle of Allen, a nuance of Miyazaki, and no trace of Disney. Wonderful. I'm at episode six and felt compelled to write this. Ten out of ten. And our Hate It is titled... A Cartoon Soap Opera by many 738-6513. Is that a phone number? Well, many wrote this in September 2019 and said, I was really expecting something else. The dialogues are like a teen soap opera in a cartoon. I kept skipping parts because I felt there was nothing special. I expected it to be mysterious and creative, but it was just rubbish dialogues going and going about nothing. Trailer made it look like something else, though, but it was only the trailer. One out of ten. Yeah, I. you know what? I'm going to go on a limb here and say I cannot disagree with that hate it more than I am right now. Yeah, uh, I hate to hate it. I hate that hate you it. hate to so. see it, but you love to hate it. You know what? I'm going to give that hate it a 10 out of 10 for being incorrect. I'm going to dip that so, hate it. How do you like yeah, that? Yeah. Oh, we dip in kids we, and now we dip in other user <laughs> reviews. What are you doing, Dave? We forgot the trigger warning for dipped kids. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, there actually was a dipped kid in this show. Yeah. There kind of almost was. Almost dipped. Ooh, Ooh, moving on. A lot going on here, gang. Mm. All right. Dave. Yeah. 
we are going to get into our final reviews. Okay. For anybody listening for the first time, we can say that we recommend something and we can tell you why. We can also say we don't recommend it and we can give a justification. And we can also go one step further if we don't recommend something and we can give it the dip. Yes, the Who Framed Roger Rabbit style dip where we erase this cartoon from the annals of cartoon history. But in this case, guess what? It's only the rotoscoped animation. The live action still exists. So it's very confusing for us in terms of how we're processing it. I'm just kidding. It would get rid of this show completely. So, Dave, now that you have dipped a user review and mm-hmm. I have dipped a kid, what is your final response in terms of undone? I'm still working out the chemistry and the physics of dipping a rotoscoped actor if it just strips the cartoon layer off of them and then they're totally fine. I don't know how it works. but I uh, think that's how it functions. Probably. I'll ask a scientist. But the, the reality here is I highly recommend this show. It's, uh, it's a type of animation you don't get to see very often these days. It's done by the experts, uh, the people who know best how to do it. It's got some of the top talent in the industry, as uh, as we've talked about for this cast of characters. And it's a great story that is going to have some tough material to sift through. But if you make that journey, I think you'll uh, you'll enjoy it. And it's much better than the soap opera. So I recommend. How about you? Uh, I'm I'm a full recommend. I, I can't recommend this more. I mean, Minnow Mountain, who did A Scanner Darkly with Keanu Reeves. Uh, Rosa Salazar, uh, Bob Odenkirk for all of this, the entire cast of characters, everything that was on there. I mean, I know that I've said that this has been in like a gut punch and I've been sort of an emotional train wreck watching this, but I don't think that I would do this any other way. I really did enjoy this. um, And it was just visually gorgeous to look at. And just conceptually, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around certain parts of this show. And so for that and the dialogue that we've had tonight, I would urge anybody to go out and check this out. Uh, this is a definite watch for me. And we should mention it's only eight episodes and they're only like 25 minutes a piece. So it's really not sure. that much of a time. Uh, yeah. 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 You're not, you're not doing that bad. Check it out. Worth watching. So that concludes the mind-bending reality of Undone for tonight. So guess what? We want to give a big thank you. You heard him on this episode. Our friend Bobby Anthem. You can hear him on his paranormal podcast, Inhuman Experience, with his co-host Bobby Blades. You can find them on Twitter at IEXP underscore podcast. And Bobby has started a solo show, which is called In Search of My Lost Soul. Not my soul, Bobby's soul, just so we're all clear on that. It's available along with the Inhuman Experience podcast anywhere that podcasts are found. Hey, Dave, what are you up to, bud? Same old stuff. You can find me over at Collider.com, where you can also find this podcast on Collider Weekly. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at DrClawMD. And if you're the reading sort, you can pick up my new book, The Science of Breaking Bad. And you should definitely pick up The Science of Breaking Bad because in a couple weeks, we've got El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie, coming back to Netflix. Maybe I'll have like a novella come out of it for a couple extra science explainers. Who knows? I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to do any science on the show or not. Your guess is as good as mine. Well, tune in next week when we interview Aaron Paul. <gasps> I don't know. What a great Hopefully. tease that we can edit out later. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to keep it in. (laughs) As for me, I perform live improv comedy with a group that's called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. We perform with Washington Improv Theater. You can find tickets and times with DC.org. And I'm always on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Paul Ellis, which is a problem. Please help me get off social media. Yeah, please. Want to support us? Super easy. Tell a friend. Review us on Apple iTunes. You can even check out our Patreon that we have that's linked in all of our show notes and on all of our social media sites. Slide into our DMs on Twitter at Morning Tunes. Remember, that's morning with a U. 
Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Saturday Morning Cartoons. Drop us an old-fashioned email, saturdaymorningcartoons at gmail.com. You can find all of these links and everything that I've mentioned in our link tree, which is in the bio for all of our social media sites. And as always, you can listen to us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever podcasts are sold or given away for free in this case. It's fine. Perfectly done. Hey, can I give the listeners one final tease before we wrap up tonight? Yeah, absolutely. If you guys are interested in uh, Gendy Tartakovsky, you may want to tune in next week and get a first first teaser at his new series, Primal, and hear from Tartakovsky himself. That is an actual tease, not like the one Sean mentioned earlier. Yeah, no, that's... If you have not watched anything for Primal, look at the San Diego Comic-Con like clips that they have. It looks amazing. Very excited. Well, that's it for us. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.